much the ceremony, but the day you got, okay, Ooh, you, you, okay, maybe it was that day. Maybe it was the day you held your child for the first time. Maybe it was the day that you completed your first marathon. Maybe it was the day you got your first adult paycheck. Whatever the case is, maybe there's one day in your life that really stands out as the best day you ever had. And I wonder if those of you that are married chose that day. Where you heard the words, dearly beloved, we're gathered here today in the sight of God and in your presence to do what? To join this man and this woman in holy matrimony. Ever use that term anywhere else besides in a traditional wedding? No. Not at all do we say holy matrimony except that day. So maybe some of you that was the day that was best for you. Well, this morning we're going to look at holy matrimony in the spiritual sense. Not in a physical marriage with your husband and your wife, but using that illustration as the Bible does to help us understand a relationship that we have with Christ as His bride. And so there are various things that are said. So what's matrimony? We don't use that word very often, do we? We've talked about holy a good bit in this quarter, right? Holy being set apart, being consecrated to someone, being separate. You're being separated for this. And what's our word matrimony? Well, Merriam-Webster says it this way. Matrimony is the joining of two people together, of a husband and wife. And that's what happens on the day of the wedding ceremony. That you are joined together, man and wife. And the same thing would be said of Christians. So notice back to this passage that we had up in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I like Ed's translation. I don't know what translation he was reading out of. But you'll notice Paul is writing to Christians. And he is telling them, hey, you've got to flee sexual immorality. You're a part of Christ now. And you can't be messing around with prostitutes. Oftentimes that had to do with the idolatry in those days. But you can't be messing around with prostitutes or someone that isn't your spouse because you've joined yourself to Christ. Now, Ed's translation read it the best way. He who has been joined to the Lord. The idea is that someone joined you to the Lord. They married you to the Lord. That's your spouse. And that comes with responsibilities. That comes with staying away from other potential spouses. That comes from staying away from people that you can sleep with. You are the Lord's spouse. And so one of those passages that talks about it most plainly is the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter. You might want to open up your text there. 
We'll reference a few verses that are not on the PowerPoint from that chapter. But in Ephesians chapter 5, we're told about the roles of husbands and wives in their marriage. And for the record, notice what he says to the husbands. And this is why I want to tie this into our theme of being holy and holy matrimony. We understand that we are joined together with Christ. But notice the words here in chapter 5 and verse 25 of Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. There's our word. Make her holy to consecrate her. And how did he do that? Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present to himself, and here's the her, the church. In all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would herself be holy and blameless. There's our concept of holy matrimony. You are set apart for your husband, and in the spiritual sense, we are set apart for Christ. And we are expected to be wholly separated to Him and only Him. That's the Christian's relationship with Christ. Now what I want to do this morning is I want to use the wedding ceremony. Things that normally happen at the wedding ceremony to kind of help us understand some of the things that we have agreed to if we have gone into this relationship with Christ. Now, I want to go ahead and give you a caveat here. I'm not looking at how marriage was handled in the first century when the Bible was written. That's not the purpose of this lesson. The purpose of this lesson is to use our modern-day traditional wedding ceremony in which people who are not religious often use. Okay? And here's why I say that. So, maybe it was about two years ago, my best friend from college, he and his wife, they were going to get married, right? So neither one of them are religious at all. And they lived in Chicago. And he called me up and he said, Wes, are you ordained to, uh, to do weddings? I said, yeah. He said, well, would you mind doing my wedding? I said, well, sure, I'd be happy to. And so I said, well, what do you want me to talk about? Right? Because they got no religious affiliation. They, they don't care, really. They're doing it to be married for life, all these things. And he said, well, just do what you want to do. I said, all right, I'll, I'll come up with something. I'll email it over to you. And we'll see if it works. Well, it was a little bit too religious for him. And I was okay with that. I said, hey, whatever is good for you, that's what I'll do. So she sent me a script, which was fine. That she got off the Internet somewhere. And I'll tell you what, it was better than what I'd written. Because, guess what? It's tried and true. That's just the way it was. And everything was good. And there were three main components to this ceremony as we're all gathered here today. The first thing that was a part of that ceremony is that there was a reminder about marriage. You've been dating and you've been getting to know one another, assuming you don't go to the courthouse and elope uh, from someone you met six hours ago, 
But you've gotten to know, and Michael talked about that last week, you've worked at the relationship. And you've talked about this whole marriage thing. Should we get married? Are we financially able to get married? Like, what's this going to take for us to do this? All that kind of stuff. And so it usually begins with the origin of marriage. Where it came into being in Genesis, the second chapter, when don't you know as He created them male and female from the beginning, and He joined them together in what man? And He says, man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave, join, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That was the plan from the beginning. And you remember the plan, right? Because God looked down and He saw Adam and He didn't have a helper who was suitable for Him. And so He created woman, Eve, out of His rib so that she would help Him. And so you're often reminded marriage is to help one another. It is to benefit one another. And in chapter 13 of the book of Hebrews in verse 4, that marriage is honorable. It's something that people look up to. Especially in today's time when they learn that you've been married for 30 or 40 years, they're like, do what? There's honor in being married. And the bed is undefiled, Hebrews 13.4 says. It's a good thing. And so you remind them of that. That what you're doing here today is good. Which also reminded oftentimes of its seriousness. This isn't something that you enter into lightly. You don't just say, hey, let's get married and go get married and don't think about it. It's serious. Because as Matthew 19 says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Like this is for real. I can't leave this person anymore. And so maybe you're like me, you got commitment issues. And so you're like, man, I don't know that I'll ever be able to do that. Because it's so serious. And when we think about things that are serious, it makes us appreciate them a little more. We treat them with a little more care, with a little more value. The seriousness of the relationship. And Jesus even says there around verse 11 or verse 12 when the disciples are like, well, why even get married if this is the case? Why get married? And Jesus says, yep, it's better for some not to marry. It's just the way it is. Because of its seriousness. It's not for everyone. Well, you, I'm glad that you're here and you're making this decision. But then you also have You often talk about the roles. And that's our passage there in Ephesians 5, where the wives, they are to submit to their husbands. And it's a good thing that that Paul tells us a little more about that, because we don't understand that except for as the church does to him. Again, that's serious. That's probably scary. I'm not a female, right? That's pretty obvious. But... If I was told that I've got to submit to my husband in all things, verse 22, as to the Lord, that makes my knees buckle just a little bit. Or if I'm the husband, and I'm told in verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That makes my knees buckle a lot. 
Because I understand that seriousness. I understand the sacrifice. And so someone said to me Wednesday night, and I thought this was interesting, he was talking about thinking in the future about maybe getting married, and he said, well, if i got a wife, i become number two. And if I have a child, I now become number three. And you're just always giving up for the people that you love. So you're reminded about that. Because we've already talked about it, you already know it, but it's one last reminder to say, hey, what you're going through is serious and it is great, but there are responsibilities, it is work, it is a job, and you need to remember that about your marriage. But don't people do that with us when we try to enter into a relationship with Christ? If we are going to be His bride... We must submit to everything that he says. Verse 24. The church is subject to Christ. We answer to him in every single aspect of our life, or as we've seen in 1 Peter 1, we are holy in all our conduct as he is holy. That's just the way it is. And you don't enter into that relationship without thinking about it without knowing the consequences of it, and without knowing your job. Otherwise, you wake up the next day and you say, well, what in the world did I get myself into? Now, those of you that are married, and you were in full capacity, and you wanted to marry that person, and you had thought about it, and you had really prepared yourself for that, And you wake up a few years later and you say, what in the world have I gotten myself into? You can be as prepared as possible, but changes are going to happen, I just about guarantee. And I I don't know, I'm just speaking for people telling me about that. It's not always exactly as you plan. But you know who you're in it for. You know why you're in it. Because you thought about it. You don't enter that relationship without thinking. We need to remember that. Now, what's this next thing you do? You go through all that stuff, and that's kind of the the boring part. And then you get to the part where it seems like, what's the point of this besides, oh yeah, this may be the most important part, where you actually exchange the vows and the rings. And you go through the, the traditional things. And some people, they write their own vows, and that's all great, and that's all good, and it's beautiful. But the rest of us, we're probably going to have somebody else write our vows for us, right? So do you, John, let's say, do you take Jane to be your your lawfully wedded wife? To have and to hold. For rich or for poor. For sickness and in health. For better or for worse. And you don't get to stop right there. He goes through and he's just giving all, all of them all, all, all one or the other, right? But we're going to stop right there for a second. You enter into this relationship and you're saying, I'm going to stay in it if I make money out of it or if I lose money out of it. It doesn't matter. What matters is I want to be with you. Or sickness and in health, car accident, rare 
disease that I don't know that's going to happen. And I say, am I going to stick with you? Will I be able to push you around in a wheelchair? Oh, we lost connection. Will I be able to do my responsibilities? Will I be able to submit to you if you make my life worse than what it was before? Well, you know, I, I, I tell you, that would be a difficult thing for me to do. But that's what you're saying you're doing. You're saying you're going to do it, no matter what. And you may find yourself in that situation where it's a lot worse than you expected it would be. You know what's crazy about the relationship with Christ? It also can be worse than what we expected it to be. We've got this grandiose idea that everything is going to be great. I'm going to become a Christian and my life is going to be smooth sailing. All my family is going to accept this. All of my friends are going to accept this. I'm going to financially benefit from this. When the truth is, and I'm never going to get sick because God loves me. And the truth is, that's not the relationship. The truth is, is that hard times do come. And it's not because of the spouse. It's because of life itself. It gets hard. And so there's an interesting statement, and we don't normally think of this in marriage, and so... It's not specifically about marriage, but you'll notice in Matthew chapter 25, when the people that are told to enter into the kingdom of the Father, that are blessed, they're told you're blessed because, Jesus says to them, when I was, and I want you to think about this from the rich, poor, better, worse, sick idea. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was poor, and you helped me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. Again, poor. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. 36. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. And I was in prison. I was off a lot worse. And you came, and you visited me. And you remember their response? Well, when did we do that? And notice Jesus' response in verse 40. The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least, here it is, you did it to me. Because we're not only just committed to him, we're committed to his family. You marry into that family, you now have brothers and sisters-in-law. And fathers and mothers-in-law. And we do it because of our spouse. Because we love them. You did it to the least of these. You did it to me. But we go to that. And you remember maybe saying this one? Will you continually bestow upon, we'll say her, your heart's deepest devotion? Forsaking all others, keeping yourself only unto Him as long as you both shall live. And maybe that's the hard part for some people. Is the grass is always greener on the other side. And it's hard to leave all of that 
and say, this is going to be my only woman that I ever devote myself to look at love. I'm going to do that continually. I find that interesting. Continual devotion. And Jesus says to us in Hebrews chapter 13, I want you to flip there in Hebrews 13, because we referenced verse 4 a little while ago, didn't we? That marriage is honorable, and the bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. But notice the very next verse, verse 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. The truth is, Christ has promised to us, he will always be there. As 2 Timothy 2 and verse 13 says, if we are found faithless, he remains faithful. He's going to keep his vow. But the truth is, some other love might pop in there. Another little girl might come away, or another guy. Or in this case, he says money can pull us away from Christ. Am I going to always devote myself to Christ, not money, because I'm content with what I have? That's devotion. It doesn't matter what I have. What matters is I have you. And I'll do whatever. And you close out in this way. You are now consecrated, there's our holy word again, to me. You're set apart to me as my husband from this day forward. And I give you this ring as the pledge of my love and as the symbol of our unity. And with this ring, I thee wed. And many of you are walking around this room and you've got your rings on your fingers. Some of you are walking around the room, you don't have your rings on your finger, but you know who your spouse is and your spouse knows. What is, what's the purpose of that? To remind me of what I agreed to with you. Christ has been set apart to us. You've exchanged these vows. You've agreed into it and you both stood there and you said, I do. I will. Stick with you. And then the preacher gets to do the fun part. By the power invested in me, by the state of New Jersey, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You're now joined. You're now Mr. and Mrs. Wright. Because what normally happens is the woman takes the name of her husband. That doesn't always happen anymore. You don't see it especially with celebrities or business people. They don't want to change their name. And maybe that's, I'm not here to talk about that. But in the spiritual marriage, guess what? You get a new name. Notice that in 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. If you're still there in Hebrews, it's just a couple pages over. We've been looking at this very closely in our Wednesday night class. I want you to notice verse 15. He says, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. If you're going to have hardships in life, make sure it's not because you did something wrong. 
But because, notice this, verse 16. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but he is to glorify God, and here it is, in this name. We no longer walk around as being just West Gossip. I'm now a Christian. I now take the name of Christ with me wherever I go. And guess what happens because of that? Oftentimes, people go back to verse 14. If you're reviled, you're spoken against, you're looking down on, and here it is, for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The truth is, you take His name, people will treat you like they did Him. They will not speak kindly of you. They will revile you. And I have no idea why we keep losing it today. But they'll revile you. They'll talk bad about you. They will, in chapter 4, they will bring all kinds of problems to you. You would see in verse 4, they will malign you. And they do the same thing if you marry someone who has a bad reputation. We saw Thursday night in Proverbs chapter 22... A good name is to be desired over great riches. And if you're marrying someone who doesn't have a good name, they say, you married him? You married her? They don't say, good job! They say, I can't believe you did that. And guess what happens when that you're now ashamed. You feel some shame, maybe. And so, some people, they run. Whew, I'm getting out of this one. I can't handle this scrutiny. Some people, they go, are half committed. Okay, I'm not going to divorce them. I know I can't divorce them, but I'm going to window shop over here. And I'm going to live vicariously through somebody else. I'm still going to be married to my wife. We're just not going to have the same relationship. I'm not really going to love the whole... Or some people, they decide they're going to stay. And they're going to take the abuse. And they're going not to care what anybody else thinks. Because they didn't get into this relationship because of what anybody else thought. They got into the relationship because of the person they were married. In this case, you get into it because Christ is a better option than anyone else. No matter what anybody says. So you might ask yourself, when does this take place? If we have our wedding ceremony and we're not officially pronounced right until the day of, of the ceremony. We're not husband and wife until all that takes place. When is the Christian... Become a Christian. When does the ceremony happen? Well, for the Christian, it happens in a special place. I want you to go to the Romans, the sixth chapter. We'll close out with this point. In Romans, the sixth chapter, we have a statement that is given to people who, by the way, are already saints. 
They've already been doing. You can see that in chapter 1 and verse 7. That he is writing to people who are already sanctified. They've already been made holy. And he reminds them in chapter 6 and verse 3. Because the question in verse 1 is, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If grace is so good, should we just keep sinning? Certainly not. Now I want you to notice these phrases as we go through. He said, do you know, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? You're now one. You're in. You're baptized into. Notice verse 4. Therefore, we have been buried with. Again, it's assimilation. We are joining him in this burial through baptism into death. Why did we do that? So that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. We too might walk in newness of life. We were willing to be buried. We were willing to die so that we could have life just like Him. So verse 5. For if we have been united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. If we are buried with Him, certainly we're going to share in that raising as well. So knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him. There's where you do it. It is at that point of baptism to which you closely join yourself to Christ. And so when the Apostle Paul was learning about Christ, and he was learning about what he should do. Ananias said to him in Acts 22, verse 6, Why do you delay? You ever see somebody, you know they're going to get married. What are you kids waiting on? You know what to do. Why are you waiting? He said, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized. Wash away your sins. Didn't we see that back in Ephesians 5? He washed her with the Word so that He would present her holy and blameless. That's what keeps us unholy is that sin. It's the baptism that washes it away. And so a statement is used in Colossians chapter 1 about how we used to be. We were alienated. We were doing evil. Verse 21. But He has now reconciled us. That is Christ. has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him, holy and blameless and above reproach. That was basically the exact phrase we saw in Ephesians 5 with Christ and the church. Now here's the key. If you continue in the faith. The only way you get the blessings of being presented holy and being His special bride, is if you stick with Him. Is that if you continue through thick and thin, that's the way you do it. The question is, have I been joined to Him? Maybe I'm ready to join into that relationship. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I need to get to know Him a little more. And I need to find out more about Him. Maybe I'm ready this morning. Or maybe I've already been joined and I need to remember the vows I made and I need to continue no matter what the circumstances are.
Whatever situation you find yourself in this morning, won't you come now as we stand and as we sing?